Hi everyone, welcome to Outside Existential Hope podcast episode. And this is a special podcast episode where we invite our senior fellows to discuss a little bit what got them excited about their work, what gets them excited about the long-term future, which risks we need to navigate all to make those futures amazing, and how people that are perhaps new to the, these areas can plug in, how they can start thinking about these fields, how they can get excited. But I think, you know, I'm not sure if who said that, but I just read it again today. Hope is not a strategy. So how can you be hopeful, but also develop a strategy of actually gearing into action? And so I'm really, really happy to have Richard here today. And Richard, and I think, has been, yeah, like really a, like a, a luminary in the field of long-termism for quite some time. He's been the director of AI projects at Future of Life Institute. Now for also quite some time, I think almost 10 years, eight years or something, I think right now. About um, eight, yes. Yeah, about eight. So that's no other, rather long. We have co-hosted the really wonderful beneficiary AI conferences that I think have really set the stage for much of the world uh, of AI safety and, and general long-term thought in AI. And I recommend to everyone to check out the Future of Life Institute playlists on these conferences. They're really great. And you also produce these really wonderful maps on the AI safety and AI policy landscape. Or at least I've really enjoyed digging into those a few years back. And since more recently, uh, you've also been now a senior advisor to new, really interesting ventures that I don't know all too much about. I've definitely heard a little bit about them, but they're probably a little bit more stealthy on this Lionheart Ventures and one of the most positive labs. And they're producing a little bit more of an AI, AI safety ecosystem that uh, I think has lots of long-term potential. You've joined uh, Foresight as, as an honorary senior fellow in 2022, and we've really had the pleasure already of having this all virtual chat during our Vision Weekend, which is our, men our annual member gathering last year. And there we talked a little bit about, um, it was a little bit more of a technical discussion, and that was more on AI safety, in particular on a technology tree that can build us towards safe futures. And so if people are interested in that, I invite you to check that out. Uh, today, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about some more hopeful questions and more long-term uh, questions, but I think we can't help but, and it'll probably get quite concrete uh, as well, which I think is, is, is for the better. But, you know, now just, you know, to start perhaps with a few questions of, you know, where people can get to know you a little bit and your path, you know, if you want to just introduce yourself a little bit, you know, I've said a little bit, but you can probably have much more to say that isn't super obvious from the websites. So what are you working on? And perhaps also like what got you to where you are today. So if you had something like a life story in three minutes, it's a very difficult question, but uh, well, that's roughly the plan. Sure. So I work to make the coming transition to transformative AI go well for humanity and also for the rest of the life that we share the planet with. It's going to be the biggest event probably since the taming of fire. And it could turn out to be the greatest thing that happens to us or, or the worst. So I have a pretty broad remit in the space. I do meta research, analysis, advocacy, and field building uh, in, AI, in AI safety with respect to the technical strategy and policy aspects. So I also actually spend a lot of my time these days planning a, a new series of integrated projects in the space that I'll be hiring for shortly, actually under the umbrella of, of a new org. But a lot of that is TBA, I should say. So I'll be doing things like delving into the safety properties of uh, multi-criteria approaches, fleshing out methodologies for, for scanning for aggregate risks, considering how correlated the risks of different proto-AGI systems might be, and also creating tools for researchers and for policymakers to understand trade-offs and how to manage the Siderata better. In terms of my life story and how I got started, so I'll start from the beginning. So I was, I was lucky enough to be born with a really great book on my bookshelf called One, Two, Three, Infinity by George Gamow. It introduced me to so many topics in math, physics, cosmology, and philosophy, um, and also introduced me to multidimensional thinking, topology, relativity. But also very key is, is being open to the infinite it introduced me to. It was sort of an invitation to keep expanding my horizons. So, so that, that was very influential. And a second book that was very influential when I was a little kid was the Whole Earth Catalog, which, of course, you know, we, we've talked about at Foresight a few times as well. 
And, and that was one of the first books I ever bought. It introduced me to sort of holistic thinking, to combination of distributed and, and centralized collaboration to work for a better world while people actually get to be creative and, and make a living at the same time. So, so that was, that was really inspirational. So I was very, very much always into like the hard sciences, engineering, even also social sciences and, and business. I started programming very early in elementary school. I realized maybe around at the age of 13 that it should actually be possible f- to create a program that programs a program. So that's what initially got me very interested in, in AI, like in terms of the, the actual mechanics of it, not, not the sci-fi. So let's see, in, in high school, I read uh, Escher Bach, and, and that was very sort of inspirational as well in this direction. But it seemed very theoretical, and I, I, de- I deferred deeper analysis of, of that recursive sort of reasoning and those hurdles there for later. Yeah, I, I focused more on tangible machine learning and AI in college. At the time, things like probabilistic graphical models and SVMs were all the rage. It was very also much into metaphysics and philosophy of mind, metacognition and metaethics in college. And these were all like actually really, really important, it turned out, for dealing with these long-term issues and, and for thinking about how AGI should unfold. I would say that those were actually a lot about the what, as were a lot of the CS and the ML and AI courses were, were about the how. So I spent over 20 years doing AI R&D in industry in a mix of different roles, algorithms research, being a research manager, development manager, product manager, management consultant, chief scientist, CTO, but usually pretty hands-on R&D. I also got the chance to work on trustworthy AI in industry. So a bunch of different projects there. I was actually also in a position during the financial crisis. Um, where I managed various kinds of risk management systems like, like counterparty risk, enterprise risk management systems at the largest asset manager in the world. And so that really, really lent a visceral appreciation for the interplay between and among systemic tail risk, technology, multi-scale foresight, and also the agency we do have to reduce risks. And also in time, how to catalyze systemic improvements. Regarding AGI, it really clicked for me about 2010 I went to the first 100-year Starship conference, and I really don't know how or why I was invited, but I was. This was a conference by DARPA and NASA and a few others about how to actually make a real Starship within 100 years. Um, and that was like my first like real like sort of long-termist exposure. I mean, I, I, I got this email just randomly, my work email, where I was just doing very prosaic you know, very near-term AI stuff. And I decided to go. I, I took I took a plane to Florida and, and that just, and, th- and there was a talk there on AGI. And I, I realized at that point, hey, this this is plausible. And, and so that just like totally rocked my world. And a couple of years later, I went to AGI conference held at FHI at AGI 2012. And that really opened my eyes to a lot of the risks that I kind of thought Hey, there's, there's this could like be very disruptive in lots of different ways, but that really crystallized my my concerns. And from that point on, I was like searching for what I personally can do to help safety and just like existential like stability, frankly, in the face of of AGI. Wow. Uh, first, you know, what haven't you done in that time? I always love that question because, you know, oftentimes I think you meet people that, you know, more on a technical level and like, yeah, especially in like these more technical settings and you barely ever, you know, discuss why people got into the field and it's always such a wild story. Just for those who may not know who's uh, who listening, FHI is Future of Humanity Institute, <laughs> not to be confused with Future of Life Institute, even though, you know, they have definitely much cross-collaboration and I think alignment and, and their goals. But yeah, so that's not on the extension website yet is one to three infinity. I would definitely go and change that. Uh, but the other ones, you know, are definitely no stranger to yeah, the broader exit space. Very, very, very interesting. And well, I mean, you know, I think like two at least products that uh, I think you've produced them with uh, Lucas Perry, I think uh, at least one of them together, were these maps uh, of the landscape. 
uh, of AI safety. And and yeah, and and I think you know, for someone who may be new to the field who's listening now, there is no better person than a map maker of these fields to give them a little bit of a bird's eye overview of what these fields are about. So you know, if someone new to the field was like, okay, AGI, nice, but I'm I'm overwhelmed. What would you say? You know, like what's the rough lay of the land uh, in which people can position themselves, and how do you even start thinking about that field for someone? Yeah, totally. So um, AI safety and sort of AGI safety is, is many things. And th there's many different metaphors we can use as, as sort of summaries here. We can use them in parallel. So it's, it's a shield we hold. It's, it's the rails that we need to run on. It's our navigation system. It will also be sort of our, our therapist and our, our patient. So, so I, I'd say that there's really like um, a handful of, of key facts here that, that really tie together about where the risks really come from. So the first is that we get what we ask for, not what we want. So you can think of the stories around King Midas or, or Genies or Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's really that concept. And what we ask for is actually usually expressed as a metric. And Goodhart's Law tells us that as soon as a metric is used to influence a system, then it becomes a, a bad metric. Uh, and in so doing, the dynamics of the system evolve to contort, to optimize to that metric. And so AI discovers creative ways to think, uh, creative ways to, to do things that we ask for. And actually, th these specific ways can be thought of as, as like instrumental goals that it's creating in order to accomplish these. Um, what, meanwhile, most of the field of AI and of computer science and even electrical engineering now is focused on, on creating and, and, and powering and, and expanding and making all that creative power much, much larger. And so when that optimization power and also what we call the action space range of the types of actuation, the types of actions that a system can take, when those grow together, we have really impressive new capabilities. And there can be inflection points of, of totally qualitatively new capabilities that, that are actually pretty difficult to predict in advance and that we've seen with some of the systems even in the past few years. They've started to manifest. But with enough optimization pressure, nearly all asks that um, one can have of a system generate a, a pretty similar plan for power, for resources, for independence, for maintaining it itself in terms of not being shut off and things like that. So in order to gather resources, and, and we call those convergent instrumental incentives, of course, from, from Amahandro. In order to, to gather resources and, and prevent its shutdown, the system will, will try to learn about the circumstances it's embedded in. And when the system does realize its place in the world, it can also change itself and expand. These are issues of embedded agency that, that Miri talks about. And we don't really know how to reliably keep all of that in check. So, so that's the endeavor of, of existential AI safety. Yeah, I mean, just a quick question. Um... I didn't know that FHI already had an AGI conference. And when, when did you say 2012? Was so, so, yeah. So FHI and Ben, ben Gerstlein company co-hosted the 2012 AGI conference. And it was very sort of FHI and safety focused. Yeah, this was in December 2012 at Oxford. Wow. And so how has, you know, your thinking on timeline shifted since then? You know, I, I mean, not to get too into the weeds of it, but... You know, there there has always been the Robert Hansen and Eliezer Yukovsky debate on different time like takeoff speeds. And recently, I think you know Paul Kostyanov has kind of taken the seat with uh, Robert uh, Hansen of had and arguing more for the gradual AI um, AI AI capability increase. And then uh, Eliezer has you know doubled down on the fast takeoff. Um, and you know, from your perception of having been really in this area now for so long, do you think that at least people's perceptions you know, or time limits in general are, you know, rapidly accelerating or, you know, how has the thinking, like the kind of like, yeah, the, the idea space changed? Yeah. So I think within people looking at this, yes, timelines have certainly come in. Timelines have shortened. I, I still, so, so, so my timelines were actually pretty short to begin with. Um, I, I, I had 10 years of, of experience in, in the field at the time I, I was really starting to think of this. And then like another 
five of leading leading some some pretty cool AI projects in industry. And like I, I was I was really trying to like map out the different types of, of synergies, the different types of paths that we might take to get there. And this is not really something that you know should be shared too. I mean, in, in terms of the details, you shouldn't be shared too widely because you know that, that's how we get there. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I realized that, that there are a lot of synergies between different threads of research and it's going to hit us faster than, than a lot of people expect. Yeah, I think I think in the world at large, people do think that AGI is more of a realistic proposition now than they did like five or 10 years ago. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do you think that has has have there been any other like interesting culture shifts in the general field of of AI and AI safety in particular? Like anything that you know, if I'm now coming new to the space, let's say, where I would find the space different than if I'd come to it like a I don't know ten years ago or something. Yeah, I think so. I think the concept of AI safety is certainly much more mainstream now. A lot of that mainstream, though, is still with respect to sort of very near-term, narrow systems. But the concept of AGI itself is also becoming more mainstream, less so than than standard AI safety right now. But I think a lot of people are realizing that, yes, we will have lots of issues. And it's just starting to click for, for a lot of people. And so, you know, part of the hope that, that we have within the field is to get more people who care about things like AI ethics or near-term AI safety or machine learning that is is trying to do what the humans want it to do in general, which really, I mean, if you're trying to make a system, usually you want it to do what the users or, or the owners or someone wants it to do. So so hopefully that should be most people actually in, in the field of AI. One might be surprised though that, that sometimes people are kind of dismissive about some of these issues. But yeah, we're trying to get more people to to realize that that more scalable types of safety are needed. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that most folks, even those that are building AIs, should want it to be aligned with with what they are uh, hoping to to get out of it. But that also obviously doesn't always mean that that's aligned with uh, the broader <laughs> like uh, bits that are good for society at large or humanity and so forth. So I think that there's still like an interesting mismatch there. I wonder if uh, you could point, you know, from your position to any parts that you still think are undervalued right now in the larger context. So which, which, which areas do you think have people may perhaps not woken up to that you would like to draw attention to uh, for someone being curious to learn more? Yeah. So, so I'll actually use this opportunity to give a preview of a few topics in the technical research plan that I plan to push forward. So I, I should note that all of these are actually inspired by the subfield of AI known as knowledge representation in one way or another. So, so KR was actually a part of AI before ML swallowed all the rest of AI, which happened sort of in the past like decade or, or the decade and a half. And if I may say, so ML is actually sort of having an indigestion problem from having swallowed some of these pieces a little bit too fast. It doesn't really know how to deal with them, how to, how to use these pieces. So, the first is extending environmental safety techniques. This is things like don't crash yourself into a person for a self-driving car to, to more meta-agentic safety. Things like don't deceive yourself or, or don't deceive a, a person. So, so doing that actual extension. Because right now, these are very distinct kinds of approaches. And so, so working to create more of a, a kind of spectrum there, similar technologies. Second Establishing meta-objectives for more cognizant and more active management of sub-objectives and of instrumental goals. So this is things like actively managing trade-offs and mediations, figuring out when it's the right time to look for synergies versus sort of time slicing or resource slicing. And thirdly, modeling and parameterization of values as a modality. So, so when we say modality, this is like images or, or text. But we can also think of values as a, as a type of thing, as a type of data, to be able to parameterize across different types of systems. So values can be expressed and, and reflected at appropriate granularities and levels and, and ways. Um, fourth, optimizing architectures for ideal componentization 
for both interpretability and for optimizing the propagation of, of alignment, especially inner alignment. And so I'm seeking collaborators on, on all of these. And we'll also be actually hiring for these and for a bunch of other streams later this summer. Oh, wow. Okay. Exciting. And with hiring, you know, what kinds of roles would that be? Then? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much, you know, color you can provide, maybe none, and that's fine. But if people are interested, where could they find out more about it? Or Well, it, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a preview. So, so we don't have these, these posted yet, but, but it will be a mix of a, a variety of, of roles in you know, technical machine learning, you know, AI safety, but also within policy and law and strategy and just general research and actually operations as well. Yeah, there's definitely no, yeah, no short of, of, of like opportunities and like frankly, like still needs for it and hands on the, on the program. Okay. Very exciting and quite technical rather. And so, I mean, how did you generate those, those, those areas that you focus on? Yeah. Like, did you just look around and were you like, okay, those are still a few bits where I think like there's an opportunity, no one is looking and you saw an opportunity there or is there something else? Yeah. So actually right now, the situation in the field is that proposed safety techniques are kind of piecemeal. We have a bit of meta-agentic safety by design, addressing individual pieces of meta-agentic safety, and those are mostly aspirational still. Separately, we have some opaque indirect value learning work that straddles the more easily stated or easily inferred parts of environmental safety and ethics. And then there's what we might call hardwired values by design, which is a lot of what the near-term AI ethics community is working on. And these all share the paradigm of trying to optimize for a single brittle objective. So actually, we have a need for solutions that'll cover the fuller breadth across meta-agentic safety, environmental safety, and ethics in a more holistic way in order to make those compatible. So we can manage optimization pressures, instrumental incentives and constraints, goals and sub-goals explicitly with a clear but dynamic precedence hierarchy. And to do all that in a way that's more fundamentally auditable by humans from the start. And not just like the equivalent of biological dissection. And so all of that should also help competitiveness against less safe systems by hopefully being relatively efficient, but also by unlocking other useful interpretability and control features. And if they work out as hoped, the four I mentioned come together to potentially do all of that, but determining the extent and limitations of that requires research. Even if some of these work out and others don't, that would still help things toward better safety for prosaic systems. Yeah, by mapping the space, I was able to look for white space, especially about how pieces can tie together and actually currently do not. I've also worked on over a hundred AI projects in industry, and you know, I learned a lot of things by designing and deploying systems that I think are not really well represented in a lot of the theoretical safety discussions, and some of those with implications for scalable safety. So taking ideas from safety engineering, from knowledge representation, ideas from control theory, and from end-to-end -end systems architecture, and combining them in new ways that will be surfaced here. Of course, many safety proposals don't scale to generality. There's a set of pitfalls to consider. So far, these have an argument for being scalable, they need much more research. So they seem pretty high value, certainly neglected, and I think probably tractable. And again, this is just a sampling of my overall agenda, but given the short timelines, yeah, aiming to fill gaps. So is that what we can imagine your kind of like everyday life to be like? You like poke around and be like, there's a gap uh, that, that I could fill. Or like what, um, yeah, what, what does someone in your role usually do. And I'm sure you read a lot. That's very evident by your bookshelf. Uh, but what are like, what's the everyday life like? Possibly? Yeah. So, so I probably have an atypical, you know, daily schedule uh, because I do, you know, work on the, you know, across, you know, technical strategy and policy. Most people working in the field don't work across those, those three. So it does vary a lot depending on specific projects or programs I'm working on. 
But most days it looked more like collaborating on documents, like position papers or articles or writing critiques or, or, or writing feedback on whether technical or policy papers, some actual object level, hands-on technical research exploration, also planning programs and resource allocation and planning workshops and participating in standards discussions, tracking, ideating, and, and researching on yeah, cru cru cruxy issues, as you mentioned. Okay, so like all of it, basically, pretty much. <laughs> okay, wow, great. I think that, you know, at least it gives people like a, a you know, as much of an overview as one can do in like 20, 30 minutes uh, of, you know, what the field of AI safety, you know, at least from your vantage point currently contains a bit. And, you know, I think it's, it's a nice dive in, but I do uh, want to hand it over to Beatrice uh, to lead us more into hopeful waters uh, after people hopefully have some foundation of, of, of where we start. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit nervous about your answers to these questions, Richard, because I feel like, yeah, from, from an outsider's perspective, there I feel like there has been definitely a ramping up in terms of how urgent the whole AI safety question is starting to feel. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy we have an AI expert to ask these questions, but I'm also, yeah, quite nervous. Uh, but yeah, so this project and this podcast is about trying to identify what we're aiming for rather than just focusing on what we don't want. So sort of like AI trying to figure out our like values and direction. And so I'll just sort of dive in and ask you if you would say that you are optimistic about the future. On that, yes, I would say so. Especially when, when zooming out, I, I am optimistic. But, but that is certainly contingent. So I think we have it within us to, to reach you know, truly awesome outcomes, but we have to actually make it happen. It's not just going to happen by default. So I, I would say optimism and existential hope um, really start with existential gratitude. So, so sort of an appreciation and an awe that we are here in the first place, which when you think of it is, is kind of weird, because kind of amazing and unexpected. You know, why is there anything? But whatever, whatever the answer is there, you know, we are embedded in this universe and we have both individual agency and a collective agency over it and within it. The future is not yet written. We, we can work to continue changing the outcomes for the better. So some problems, yes, are, are very, very hard and we might get only one chance to get it right. So we actually have opportunities here, new opportunities to muster amounts of creativity that wouldn't be needed other times, which itself you know, is, is kind of scary, but also kind of, kind of exciting, if, including, of course, creativity on how to get incremental validation on these types of problems. So it's not just necessarily, you know, a one-shot deal. So we can progressively be more certain of the existential safety of a safe AI. And we can see some paths that seem promising, um, but of course, we still need a portfolio approach and fresh ideas so we can crack this, this nut of, of existential safety. And the field does keep growing, which is a hopeful sign. There's a lot more people. We do need to work on this. Collectively, we have accomplished things like banning bioweapons, worldwide smallpox vaccination, and the Montreal Protocol on CFCs to help heal the ozone, and also fixing Y2K before it hit. Making safe AGI is going to be much more difficult than any of those, but it's still within the same sort of collective action and hard technical problem sort of, you know, vein. But if and when things are looking up, yeah, the dynamics can start taking care of itself, bootstrapping to become even better and better. Um, so I don't think that we'll be sort of the Sisyphus situation forever. I, I expect and hope that the right kind of solution to safe AGI will let us get to a point where having sort of a 98% aligned system will itself correct the last 2%. Well, that's that's really good to hear. I'm relieved. Is, is there at all, I'd just be curious here, is there at all, do you think, a resource challenge in terms of making this happen? Or is it just like the technical challenge and the value challenge? Uh, there's certainly still a resource challenge. I mean, we need, you know, it's, it's very much a, a race between sort of the, the capability power and, and the wisdom with which we use it. This is something that FLI says, says often. And this is very, very true. You know, we 
do have a growing field within safety, but the AI field and capabilities in general is is growing so much faster and, and so much larger so quickly. I mean, it, it's just, you know, orders of magnitude larger than folks working on, on safety or, or scalable ethics. So yeah, we need, we need that better balance, certainly. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and one thing that you mentioned, the, the term existential gratitude is one that I haven't heard before, but I think I'm going to just adopt it now. I thought that was a really, really good one to keep in mind. So thank you for that. Do you want to share, if you can, a vision of existential hope? Yeah, certainly. So I'd say if AGI is done right, it's clear that it can strike down the world's big problems, so, sort of like dominoes. There'll just be these waves of technology that this unlocks for a better world with just cascades of positive externalities. So starting with things like in silico medicine and, and clinical trials taking only minutes you know, in a computer to curing all disease and maybe also aging. Fusion seems like we're on the cusp almost. This will sort of lock it down and get us to energy abundance. You know, the the regolith on the moon stores maybe 20 years worth of, you know, Earth power consumption. But Saturn has like millions and millions of years of, of helium-3. So, so that will be a useful thing in the outer solar system where the, you know, inner solar system could, could use more just like direct solar. And yeah, so with this energy abundance, you know, we could store energy in, in hydrogen for like planes. We don't need to pollute with planes anymore. Even have like electric rockets, plenty desalinization plants. So no more like droughts and just water abundance and weather control. Having a closed loop, zero waste economy where right now it it's actually theoretically possible, but it takes like way too many resources for what we get back to do total like elemental reclamation. I actually had a startup on this a couple of years ago, looking into this, of taking waste of all kinds and just, you know, extracting all the different elements to have zero waste in the end. It does take a lot of energy and it takes a lot of just like, you know, investment to do, but, but that will become much easier and, and just like, you know, We'll be able to like clean up the environment using things like that and other nanotech, abundant, delicious, healthy food that doesn't require any murder um, and remediating and balancing the environment, having safe geoengineering to stop and reverse climate change. And also, you know, the AGI can, can help be a mediator and sort of a peacekeeper as well to a level that we haven't really encountered before. And we'll also probably you know, have like nanotech, like global programmable, like matter and like an infrastructure for that. And so, you know, we can just have like, you know, on a whim, just shelters with utilities and everything we need, like just rising out of the sands in a matter of a few minutes, you know, people don't need to be homeless. And, and of course, leisure and reflection time for whoever wants it, which I, I think is actually the, the big one. And I, I want to be um, the focus of my uh, NFT. So, so yeah, just generally people supporting each other, having time to learn and discuss ethics and whatever they want, just more dialogue, compromise and cooperation amongst just with other people, especially those who are pretty different from, from yourself and, and compromise won't have to sting as bad as it does now because there'll be so much abundance, but you know, we want a fair allocation of resources and it will be lifting all boats. So tools to help us collaborate, understand, respect each other. And also to have a culture to like foment a, a love for knowledge and thinking and, and just like respect and all that. People who do necessarily find purpose in work will still be able to work, but they can pretty much do whatever it is they want to work on. So I, actually, I invite people to think about their favorite, most magical three days in their lives that they can remember. Okay. And... Hopefully it should be something sort of nearly like that every day. That's a good little practice for, for the existential gratitude thing that we just talked about. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really interesting to hear someone also talk about the possibilities with the AI and AGI rather than just the risks. I know that at FLI, you just had the World Build 
competition that was about sort of envisioning positive futures with AGI. And so, yeah, I, it's a good reminder to sort of, well, why are we pushing this still? Yeah. Are there, do you think, so you mentioned a bunch of technologies here. Are there any other areas or, or things we need to get around to, to work on, to build this future world that you can see? So, so of course, safe AGI is the main pivot point here. So if it's done right, there's, there's just no reason that it can't or wouldn't be able to knock down those dominoes that I mentioned before and lead to, you know, some great outcome for humanity and for the ecosphere. If it's done wrong, other technologies are not going to matter really very much or not for very long because we'll, we'll be on some really dystopic, uh, you know, trajectory. But besides for the technical AI and, and, and technical safety, there's kind of technology in institution design or mechanism design that's also like way too neglected. And it will, will certainly be relevant and really key to the transition to, to brighter futures in this transition to transformative AI. Yeah. Well, is there a specific breakthrough that you could say, like, in the, if we reach it in the next five years? You think we're on track to getting to these this like positive future scenario with AGI? So, so short of actual safe AGI, a couple of things I might think of are being able to describe an ethical theory, let's say, and and have large language models as well as reinforcement learners follow that ethical theory, including regarding meta-agentic actions. And a second one would be being able to have enough interpretability to know when a system knows that it's not behaving according to how it claims it's behaving or to how we've said that we want it to behave. So just because it understands a given ethical theory doesn't mean it's going to be following it. So we should have the right kinds of interpretability for being able to tell when it knows that it's not following it. So I, I think those are, those are some milestones that are quite doable and quite important. So that's what we need to drive more people to work on then, I think. And so since this is sort of also meant us a little bit of a career podcast in the sense that we're trying to, you know, like show what can be done, what you can work on to, to get to positive long-term futures and to sort of introduce these, these critical fields to young people. Is there, is this, what, what would you recommend someone new wanting to work on positive futures? within the AI field, what should they specialize in? Yeah, so I, I'd say they should work on something that could also get us first past the critical inflection point if they specifically want to work on positive futures. Because getting us past that critical inflection point is, is the hard part. And then whether it's technical AI safety or, or beneficial mechanism design is also applicable to both technical and, and real-world institution building. What we might call multi-scale alignment can be addressed from a variety of fields. So this is doing alignment, not just between sort of the, the creators and the AI, but between the various types of incentives on the creators and then the incentives on those institutions that are creating those incentives in turn, et cetera. So, you know, a combination of, of policy and real world institution building. So we can look at behavioral economics, political science, international relations, law, business, systems architecture, product management, these can all be relevant in, in that sort of process. All, all these backgrounds are, are helpful if they're applied to the right sorts of, of alignment issues, you know, in this multi-scale context. And all these things can mitigate the risk and, and sort of shore up and build up hopeful directions. Because of the shortened timelines to AGI, I would indeed recommend more of a focus on object level work as opposed to field building. Can you explain what you mean with that? Yeah. So object level work is um, like doing, doing the actual technical research, doing the actual direct policy interventions or policy drafts, as opposed to like trying to do something very, very meta to grow the number of interested people. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but it sounds like there there are a lot of ways that one can contribute with like coming from from different backgrounds with different skill sets and and qualities. So that's mm -hmm. good to hear if one wants to jump in. 
yeah, for is there also, if you want to, could you just recommend something that one could sort of read or listen to or maybe watch to, to sort of get into the field? And it could be fiction or nonfiction. Yeah, certainly. So I think a great introductory book is Stuart Russell's Human Compatible, which I think we've probably you know mentioned before on, on these podcasts. And a little bit more technical survey sort of is Brian Christian's book, The Alignment Problem, which is also really, really awesome. If somebody wants to delve slightly deeper, um, a couple of recent papers, there's one called X-Risk Analysis for AI Research by, by Dan Hen Hendricks and, and another fellow. There's some, some good paths in there to, to follow. And on governance, Tony Barrett and, and others worked on actionable guidance for high consequence AI risk management. And so I, I think those are, the second one is a little bit more policy. The first is a little more um, technical perspective. But yeah, I'd also actually generally recommend that they check out the FLI website. There's a lot of high level overview on there as well. Yeah, the, the FLI website is an amazing resource, actually, to get an intro on several of the existential risks that we're facing. But yeah, thank you. I, I think I'm going to hand you over to Alison. You can talk about the NFT, and I want to hear about the leisure and reflection time, hopefully, also. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, just echoing that, I think usually when I lack an introductory resource, the FLI page is usually the first want to go to. There's a little explainers plus a resource link with a bunch of outlinks and, you know, on all kinds of topics that, you know, including, I think you guys have a really wonderful Unsung Hero Award. You have a really wonderful uh, program on, like, wonderful program on Lethal Autonomous Reference. And it's just, it's it's a treasure trove, I think, uh, of all kinds of things. And we only, you know, are digging into the AI field there. But there's much more, now, obviously, too. And to see. Yeah, so I... I guess, you know, this is the, 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 I think the hardest part. And about now that we won't doubt, I think we could dive into it. I think it's the one that after these interviews always inspires me the most because people kind of like get their creative side working. And so, you know, in the paper that kind of led to, you know, the kind of term existential hope becoming at least a little bit more well known from Toby Ott and Owen Cotton Barrett, they introduced this concept of a U catastrophe, which is kind of like the opposite of a catastrophe. And a moment after which, like a very specific moment after which the expected value of the rest of the universe, whatever that means now, is much higher afterwards than before. And so those, you know, can be really specific instances. And so, you know, I think in order to, you know, just shift people's mindset of like, what would that look like rather than just a catastrophe, which is, I think, what we usually think about, would you have an idea for what that could be? Like, do you have an, like a specific eucatastrophic moment that, you know, would yeah, would really inspire you. But we're like, okay, we've made it. Now we can, now we can show back. Yeah, for, first on the, on the term you catastrophe. I, I don't, I don't like the term you you catastrophe. It sounds like something really bad happened to a sheep, like you know, a you as a, as a female sheep, and I, I like sheep. I also like etymology. So, so we we literally speak using the provenance of, of our concepts, right? In this case, catastrophe comes from kata downward. And strophe is like turning, so turning downward. So a U catastrophe would be like a good turning downward. So I guess if you're cheering for something big to fail, that would be a U catastrophe. I don't really think that's what we mean here. So I propose we instead call it call, call these the big good events that we're talking about anastrophes. The word does already have a meaning. It means Yoda syntax, like. It, like out of out of order syntax, basically, you know, basically Yoda syntax. But there's no reason we can't just add another meaning, you know, another sense to to that word. And since you know the Greek roots kata and ana are, are opposites, it seems crystal clear. You know, cat. You know, kata means downward, ana means upward. You know, just very straightforward anastrophe. So, what would what would such a, an anastrophe event be? So. So again, definitely this this big inflection that we've been talking about for the world. Um, yeah, so it's it's aligned AGI being created where we've solved both the technical safety and also significantly the the coordination and the economic mechanisms. So it can focus on creating positive sum dynamics for everyone, knocking down societal problem after societal problem. So pieces of of this good new world would would fit together. 
And yeah, we'd have all kinds of different abundances and willingness to use the opportunity to expand moral circles and to understand each other better, get along better. You know, if we want, we could draw inspiration from the, the world building finalists when we think about specific catastrophes or, or specific, you know, events or specific elements that we want in a positive future. I am unsure if we have time for that, but I can give it a try if you want. Please do. I, I definitely, in my dark hours, read up on those because they're, they're really wonderful. I'll post them here in the chat and we have them in the podcast show notes as well. Yeah. So, so if we consider the top three finalists, which, which by the way, yeah, Anthony and, and Anna were on this podcast a couple of months ago and, and talked about this world building contest and how it works and, and all that. Since then, on June 30th, we announced the winners. And right now I'll, I'll talk briefly about, about the top three, or at least I'll tell you my three favorite elements from each of the top three finalists. So the first place one, um, number entry 281. Firstly, getting people bought in to the need for alignment by demonstration of what would happen otherwise. So getting the public to realize that, hey, we really need to invest our time and effort and energy and listen to folks saying we need to do what we need to do for alignment because of the counterfactuals and the futures that can happen otherwise. And actually illustrating to people and simulating and like being very explicit about that. Secondly, work being optional, involvement in shaping reality. So we'll have tons of free time, but we can still want to shape reality. And so that would be some work we can do. If we don't want to do that, we can just chill. Third, social simulations for, for setting policies. So government would actually start simulating things and in order to figure out how things would play out, as opposed to just thinking, hey, that sounds good and just doing it and then having 30 years of, of like hell for like millions of people because it wasn't really thought out. The second entry, number 88, first element I really like are the natural and, and built environments being in harmony. I think harmony is not easy and it's really something that AGI can help with. Second, a space elevator, being able to get people to space very cheaply, very quickly, without burning a lot of resources, seems very useful. And third there, all plastics being eco-friendly. I mean, we already have some of the technology today that can be improved a little bit, but yeah, there's so much like non-eco-friendly plastic. It's, it's crazy. And that's really bad. Tied for second place here is entry 313, actually from CSER. 313 had alignment corroboration officers which are basically people who make sure that, that AGI is indeed being ethical in the ways that the populace wants it to be ethical. And even after alignment, it's good to have like some quality assurance, you know, of just humans checking on it, you know, even if we think we've totally solved it. Secondly, public demonstrations of AGI ideas before rollout to give the populace some confidence that these things will really you know, make sense and to give them confidence in the new ways of, of coming about or, or coming up with policies. And third, personal AGI assistance, actively watching out for you. It's like, imagine you had like an actual like guardian angel. That would be a pretty useful thing. So yeah, I, I really encourage people to spend some time with the finalists on, on worldbuild.ai. And then also to try to just imagineer for yourself you know, maybe you'll even, you know, change your world for the better by doing so. Wonderful. Thank you. Yep. I can only echo that. I think there's, there's an enormous amount of uh, project proposals that ha all have a pretty high quality, I think, and they're all have an incredible diversity. So I think there's something really for everyone uh, to discover on the World Worlds website. Uh, and I just shared it here and we'll also share it with the podcast together, but it was certainly, uh, I think it would be... <laughs> A pretty inspirational exercise. I mean, we only have two minutes left. I think that we would try to sharpen uh, this eucatastrophic moment. I do think that, you know, AGI alignment is like, yeah, like a pretty, pretty obvious one. I think, you know, as you've made the case that many of the other technologies under the more downstream of that in the sense that if we get that one right, we can help us with a lot of this. But, you know, if we ended perhaps on a more personal note, is there like 
any particular advice, and this can be professional or it can be entirely personal, that you ever got where you're so grateful that you either met this person or that you, yeah, that, that you were, that you were lifted up by this, basically. Yeah. So, so actually there, there were a couple of teachers I had in elementary school and junior high school that, that shared like, you know, some, some advice. So, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll share like three and a half proverbs here from, from a couple of teachers. So the first is invest in authentic relationships. So be the type of person that you'd want to have a discussion with. If you're having a discussion, be the type of person you'd want to partner with. If you're talking about a partner or to hire, you know, if you want to, work for somebody, you know, just because the, the time gets invested then instead of just spent. Secondly, you, you'll regret what you didn't do rather than what you did do. So so there is a bit of a survivorship bias here, actually, uh, because you could, you know, of course, do something really catastrophic and no longer be around to talk about it. But <laughs> it still does encourage people to to consider the counterfactuals. It's also helpful for building confidence that you are on the right track by considering those counterfactuals. The third is, is the perfect is the enemy of the good. Uh, and what I'll call 3.5 here is premature optimization is the root of all evil. Those two are very related and, and they're very related to AI risk, but also in, in personal matters. Yeah, you, you want to make sure that you're having the right balance of trade-offs in, in pretty much whatever it is that you're doing. I love that one that I came across that is more echoing your second one recently, which really resonated with me. is just to take things a little bit more lighter. You know, like I think in hindsight, you often obviously regret things that you haven't done, but you also think often regret to not have lift the things that you were able to do, kind of fully appreciating them. And that comes back to the eccentric gratitude bit again yeah. of like rephrasing things like I have to do this thing now of like I am able and, I, and here to do this thing now. And right. I don't know, it somehow really clicked for me. And I've then uh, kind of rephrased my entire day after that around those issues of look, I, I'm able to, and you know, I'm like, um, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I get, I get the chance to do this. It's like super minor, but it's somehow it, it really clicked. I love those. I'm very, very happy that we got to speak to you. Thank you so much for taking time. Thank you so much for the kind of like treasure trove of ideas that you left us here with. I think that we have a lot to digest. And oh, well, thank yeah. you, Allison. Thank you, Beatrice. Yeah, this has been fun. Very, very fun. I mean, those are just, yeah, like little beacons of hope always throughout my day, and at least. So thanks a lot. We really, really, really appreciate it. And thanks for all the thought you that you put into this, obviously. And yeah, it, it was really wonderful. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Uh...